If we're still breathing, then all of us work. And yes, everyone does it because the biblical concept of work is way bigger than the modern categories of paid or unpaid, unemployed or employed. In fact, as we heard in the kids' talk, you work at home and you work outside of them. We all do work. So whether it is unemployed and unpaid work at home caring for self or for others or for our possessions or it's employed work outside the home looking after someone else's care and their possessions or it's a mix of both all of us work uh, some people especially us christians also do a whole raft of voluntary work in other spaces as well all of us work and we are busy 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 people and the greatest uh, virtue that you can say when someone asks, how are you, we say, I'm busy. Now, it should be no surprise for us Christians that, well, because we are human and being made in God's image, then we are creating God's image to be workers. But for most of us, why we work and what we work at and how we feel about our work is a regular source of tension and difficulty. Satisfaction eludes us, the need for relevance consumes us, and sin plagues us every step of the way. Well, praise God that he has written extensively about work in his word, the Bible, and praise God that he's also given us his spirit so that we can understand and apply what he has to tell us. So before we go any further, let's pray. Let's pray and ask that he would indeed give us that wisdom, supply what we need today to help us to be wise Christian workers in his world. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you're our God. We thank you for your kindness to us. We thank you that you speak and you create order by what you say. Please bring order into our minds and our hearts in regards to work this day help me to speak clearly and faithfully and helpfully for the congregation we pray in jesus name amen now in case you haven't noticed you do have a space to take sermon notes and a place to ask questions which graham will answer next week when i'm not here so that's good for me <laughs> uh, apart from that you'll also find i slipped into your order of service a uh, little uh what would you call this an outline so that you can see where I'm up to and what's going on and you can see how long it's going to be till I finish and you get to go to morning tea. Uh, and you can tell by the start that I've already finished the first point. Will I work? I won't I. We're up to the next bit. Now, if we're looking for wisdom from God about anything, then the obvious place to go in the Bible, or is the Bible, and the obvious place to go to turn for wisdom in the Bible is those five wisdom books of the Old Testament. And the most famous of those five wisdom books, of course, is the book of Proverbs. Now, I'm not sure what you thought as chapter 31 was read out for us just now. But in a world that accuses us Christians of failing to respect and value women and their work and their wisdom and their work, I hope you're encouraged by what you heard in the way that well, God's word actually honours women very highly. In fact, Proverbs 31 displays for us the wise mother instructing her son, King Lemuel, on how to reign. And then it shows us the wife of noble character who is the admiration of men and women alike. Women, who doesn't want to laugh at the days to come and have your children and your husband rise up each morning and call you blessed? <laughs> and fellas... Who doesn't want to punch above our weight and actually marry a woman like this? And if we have already, then keep praying. Uh, she'll become that if you keep encouraging her. 
And while we might admire and desire these women, at the same time, don't they make you feel just a little bit guilty? Who manages to work like this? Uh, who can do this consistently? Who can even do this occasionally? And if we manage to do it at all, who manages to do it without becoming filled with pride and conceit and then looking down on everyone else who isn't as good as me? And if this is the picture of what we're supposed to be like as Christian workers, then it actually lays a very heavy burden on our shoulders, doesn't it? And not least of all, because the workplace is the scene of our biggest temptations to sin. Whether it's work at home or work on the outside of home, our work is where we sin more than anywhere else because it's the place where we interact with more people and with more things than anywhere else. And so King Lemuel needed warnings here about three areas, these three massive areas related to sin in our work. Where This is where it happens. Sexual sin, where we get intimately involved with people whom we shouldn't. Substance abuse, where because of the stress work creates, we turn to alcohol and other substances to medicate ourselves in our pain. And power games, where we use our power to build up our own self-esteem and our own ego and our own position. And in the process, we manipulate and we mistreat other people rather than using our power to serve them. Did King Lemuel fall into these sins? Well, we're not told but more than likely if his mum's got to step in and tell him about them and warn him against them. And as for our wife of noble character, is there sin present there? Well, absolutely. I feel exhausted just reading about her. Could she be a workaholic? Could she be a workaholic who has turned her work into an idol that she worships, an idol that gives her her value and her security and her praise? Is she living for this world and just building bigger barns and bigger barns and bigger barns? Now, if so, then that's a long way off from fearing the Lord and seeking his kingdom, if you're building your own. On the flip side of that, of course, her work ethic also highlights the problem of our laziness. Uh, it was picked up again in the kids' talk, the sluggard, the ant, the sins of the sluggard who refuses to work. Well, she's the virtuous one and everyone else can't be. We're all sluggards in comparison. And that, of course, is a problem that Proverbs talks about at great length. And we all recognise that problem in ourselves as well, don't we? So as much as we might admire what we read here, and we can definitely learn from the wisdom in this chapter of Proverbs, and we should learn as we can, we also need to recognise that it weighs us down with rules and stress. New rules to keep and more jobs to complete. Do it better. Do it like these guys. Do it. Just do something. And we say, oh, please, just give me a break. I'm just trying to get by. So should we bin Proverbs 31 altogether? Well, no. But we do need to realise that wisdom like this is not all the Bible has to say about work. And in fact, the wisdom of work found here in Proverbs needs to be shaped and understood through the lens of the whole Bible and especially through the lens of the gospel, the, the good news about our Lord Jesus. So what then does the whole Bible have to say about work? And how does the gospel reshape work so that Jesus is our ruler and not our work. Well, figuring this out is one of the key disciplines we teach our students at Year 13. 
how to read the Bible, how to open it any part and understand it, how to put the whole thing together, how to make sense of the Bible in light of the whole, each part, especially in light of Jesus, our Saviour and Lord. So how do we do it? Well, it works a little bit like this. It's called a biblical theology. And in this occasion, we're talking about work. So a biblical theology of work. You can do a biblical theology of mission. You can do a biblical theology of food if you want to. You can do a biblical theology of just about anything. What does the Bible have to say as a whole about something? Well, we're going to do it about work. And the reason we do this, it's kind of like this. If, if you were to lead five men up to touch different parts of an elephant and ask them to describe what an elephant is based upon what they touch, then they will each tell you a different story about what they think the elephant is, won't they? Imagine it. The ear feels different to the leg, to the trunk, to the tusk, to the tail, to the side. They're supposed to be connected together to form one animal, but a blind man can't see that, especially if he just stays where he is. He's going to have to actually work his way around that animal and move around, and so too for us with the Bible. For five different people reading the Bible, just using their favourite part and only ever looking at their favourite part, well, we've got a problem because the history parts are different to the laws, are different to the poetry, are different to the apocalyptic books, are different to the letters. But if we move around and take a look at the whole then the parts begin to make sense in light of the whole. And then we don't end up getting misled or confused or despondent or trampled by what we're dealing with when we open God's word. So let's do that. That's what we're going to do. We're going to move around the Bible on the subject of work. What does the whole Bible have to say about it? And how does the gospel change it? Well, let's begin at the beginning and we'll trace it through. We'll follow what's on your outline. Now, I said at the start that the simple fact of being human means that we're creating God's image as workers. Now, I got that idea from Genesis chapter 1. I'm sorry, I didn't make it up. It's in the Bible. We're told there that unlike the animals, God declared that under his rule, we humans are to work, filling the earth, ruling and subduing creation under him. And in Genesis 1 and 2, this involves work inside the home, bearing and raising children to follow us. And work outside the home, cultivation, construction, technology, science. And to achieve this, men and women were made complementary to one another. Equal but different in order to fulfil our calling to work as God's image bearers, ruling creation together. Now, not only is it not good for one person to be alone as an individual, it's likewise not good for us to work alone. We achieve God's purposes, men and women, by working together. That's the pattern God set up for us in creation, for all human beings. But that's not how it looks for us now, is it? It's a whole lot more frustrating than all that. And why? Well, in Genesis 3, tragically, human sin brought the curse on our work. In the garden, it introduced difficulty, hardship, pain into both spheres of our work. Because of Adam and Eve's rebellion against God, every part of our work in creation is now cursed, causing us trouble until death eventually claims every single one of us down into the grave. The ongoing effects of their sin, which we all inherit and which we all repeat, mean that the relational work of childbearing in the home is now riddled with pain and conflict. And the work of the garden is now bound to be deathly frustrating as we work to produce food from a rebellious ground, plants and animals. Because of human sin, we live in a world now where we work ourselves into the grave. And no matter how hard we work to escape the grave, even using the best we can in terms of medicine, we cannot 
manage it. And this is the cursed world in which you and I live. Uh, this is the pre-Christ world, Proverbs 31 is describing, where laziness kills us, but also so does our labour. Work in our world is conflicting, difficult and riddled with sin and temptations to sin. Working wisely for God in such a world as this is what we find the Israelites attempting repeatedly and failing repeatedly to do from Genesis 4 all the way to the end of the Old Testament in Malachi. No matter how hard they go at it, no matter how clever they are, no matter what they do, their work cannot bring them life. It cannot bring them back into relationship with God and his creation like it was before death came at the fall. Our work was supposed to produce new life, but instead it leads inexorably to death. And this is our depressing reality, isn't it? However, thankfully, this is not the end game that God intended. Not for his creation and not for his people. Nor did God ever intend for us to try and work our way back to the garden and start life again. No, he didn't want us to go backwards. No, no, he has a plan. His plan is into this broken and dying world. He sent his son Jesus to save. Jesus Christ was sent with a job to do. Jesus had work to complete. His work was to save both us and the creation we live in. And we know that he completed this work. He finished this work, dying on the cross in our place paying the price for our rebellion against God and then rising again to rule over creation as God's forever king. Now, since his resurrection, you might say, well, where, where is this new thing that he's done? Well, Jesus' rule is gradually spreading throughout the earth by the Holy Spirit, which Jesus pours into his followers, transforming us, not from the outside in, like we try and impose on things when we work, but actually transforming us from the inside out. And our work now is, as Christians is to have faith in Jesus until his return. Now, more about that in just a moment. But let's just think about this return. Because there is a time when Jesus will return, judgment day, when he will bring God's judgment upon the whole world and everyone in it, both the living and the dead, judging all our works. All our work will come under the microscope of God's judgment. And every sin will be revealed and punished. This coming judgment, clearly it's a major problem for all of us, for every human, except for the Christian and the natural world. It's good news for us. For a Jesus' return to judge, everything about the Christian will be made new. Us and our bodies, all parts of the natural world around us will all be made new, better even than the Garden of Eden. That's God's work of judgment on the last day, a glorious work indeed. And the reward for trusting in Jesus at that time is that all our work will cease, will cease and eternal rest will begin. The end game then for us Christians is not success in our work where our children rise up and call us blessed and we manage to avoid sin and everything we do succeeds. No, 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 that's a futile game. No, the end game Jesus gives us is eternal rest from all our work living with God in a brand new creation. But not until Jesus returns. That's where we're going. But in case you haven't noticed, we're not there yet, are we? We're not there yet. Here we are in the Holy Spirit's waiting room between Jesus' first coming and his second coming. And whoever enjoys being in the waiting room? 
It's tough enough waiting for the preacher to finish so you can have morning tea. But when you're in the waiting room at the doctor's surgery, there's never enough magazines of the right sort that are sufficiently entertaining, are they? I mean, in one sense, we could say, praise God for, for smartphones. It made life a little bit more interesting there. But we're waiting, waiting, waiting. And us Christians, we're waiting in the Holy Spirit's waiting room. We're longing for heaven where we know things are going to be fixed on that last day. But meanwhile, we're still affected by the frustrating effects of this broken creation in which we live, like our friends in Proverbs 31. And so what are we supposed to do in this waiting room? Well, we're not supposed to twiddle our thumbs and play our smartphones and just pursue distracting entertainment. That's not it for Christians. No, no, no. Rather, because we, have, because we Christians have God's spirit working in us, changing us and renewing us from the inside out, then he is transforming everything about us, including our work and what it's for and how we approach it and how we're to feel about it. For us Christians, why we work, what we work out, how we feel is supposed to be different now to that of the non-Christian. Yes, we're human, they're human, they work and we work, but we're actually now approaching it from a different perspective with different outcomes in view. So whether it's raising the next generation or caring for people our age or older, our work in the home or out of the home, we've now got something else going on. Our work is now the primary setting where we interact with the non-Christian world. It's the place where we primarily interact with the non-Christian world. We spend lots of time there with people who don't yet know about the Lord Jesus at all and certainly don't yet know how to avoid the wrath to come through Jesus. And so in this time of waiting, we Christians have work to do that is purposeful, that's challenging indeed, but it is of eternal value to engage in. For us in this time of waiting, alongside the original command to fill and subdue the earth, inside and outside the home, yes, still go and do those things, we Christians also now have a gospel command to fill and subdue the earth in a new way, by making disciples of all nations and teaching them to obey everything Christ has commanded. For even though God will send Jesus back to judge the world for sin, he, he hasn't done it yet. And he's not going to do it yet because he doesn't want anyone to perish. Remember, our God is merciful. He wants people to come to salvation in Jesus. This time of waiting that we're in is evidence of God's mercy and his patience. He's deliberately holding back his wrath so that more people can be saved through Jesus. And the way that happens is when Christians faithfully do Christian work. Faithfully sharing the gospel, the good news with Christians, the hope that we have in him. Now, we, we use fancy words to explain it. We call it sharing the gospel, uh, evangelism, witnessing, mission. But they're all referring to the same basic thing. Sharing with other people the hope we have in Jesus so that they can have hope in him too. Sharing with other people the hope we have in Jesus so they can have that hope as well. And this work of sharing our hope in Jesus is not supposed to be achieved by individuals working alone. It's all up to you. I'm sorry, sir. Adrian, it's just you, mate. No one else can help you. No, it's not like that at all. Praise the Lord, it's not. For Adrian, but for all of us. And it's not just the specific work of the home or the workplace. No, no, no. Rather, the, the work of the Great Commission is the work of the church. It's the work of the whole church working together. 
the Christian church going to all workplaces in all nations to make disciples and gather them together in the church, teach one another everything that Christ has commanded until he returns. That's what our work is supposed to be in the Holy Spirit's waiting room while we wait for Jesus to return. Do you find that helpful? I've got to say it really helps me. Whether you find it helpful or not, I just say it really helps me. It helps me to know what I'm supposed to be doing because I wake up each morning and I get distracted by the work that's around me, work of my family, work that I've got to do, uh, making money, doing stuff. I get distracted. And I just remember what I exist for and what part I'm supposed to play because I make so many mistakes when it comes to work. And I, maybe I'm just talking about me, but those three mistakes I've got there are the three mistakes I make all the time. I think they're common to other Christians as well. Just in case they're not, you just listen about me for a moment and I'll tell you what they're like. <laughs> One of the mistakes I make is the mistake of hating work and not wanting to do it, hating it too much and not wanting to do it. I, I, I kind of just really like hanging around the church where people are kind and forgiving and nice, they'll give you a cup of tea and they generally won't tell you what's wrong with you. It's fantastic. As opposed to the workplace where I'm constantly being corrected for my errors. It sounds attractive, but when I hate work too much and avoid it so much, then I actually remove myself from interactions with people who need to hear about Jesus. And I also then actually make myself a burden on the resources of non-Christians who are now forced to support me in my laziness. And when they're cranky at me and distant from me because, well, I can't get known because I'm always hiding here, well, then there's no way they're going to listen to me if I share my faith, if they even give me the opportunity to do so. Now, hating work too much is a real problem for us Christians. We need to engage. We need to get out there. But on the other hand, I also find it easy to love my work too much. Make the opposite. You know, go from hate and go, oh, I'll go all the other way and I'll go straight over to love. But, but when that happens, I make my work all about me and my identity and my value and my little kingdom of competence and achievement and look what I've done today. You know, remember the castle? Everyone kicked a hole. Everyone kicked. Everyone, he dug a hole. Everyone kicked a goal today. That, that, I've just ruined that. That was... <laughs> Don't worry. Well, you, if you've seen the... You know what I'm talking about. Ha, I'll try again. I make it all about me and I'm looking for all my approval from my work. And I can find it if I look hard enough. And when that happens, I actually fail to rest in God. And I fail to trust God to supply for me. And then I actually also become cranky about interruptions to that work where I'm making my little kingdom. And I get cranky, therefore, especially about church and what it demands of me. And so I become absent from church. and I become absent from our shared mission together. Uh, some might say, that's okay. Don't worry, Mike, you're a Christian. You're out there amongst unbelievers. That's, that's a good thing, isn't it? But no, hang on a moment. When I love my work too much, the non-Christians I work with can see what's actually ruling my heart. They're not fooled. And they can see that it certainly isn't Jesus. And I look just like them. So just like hating work too much is a problem, so is loving it too much. And then there's that third problem, that third problem, the problem of how does church and work fit together, the conflict of the two of them. And that feels like hard work, doesn't it? Well, this is perhaps the most tricky problem of all. But again, the Bible helps us here. You see, if we're blessed with children, 
then we should do that unpaid work in the home of raising our kids to know Jesus. And other Christians working outside the home might hit the jackpot and actually get employed in one of those Christian workplaces that sometimes exist. Uh, Schools sometimes. I work in a Bible college. Uh, Sometimes we hit the jackpot. We get to work in one of those places. I worked once in in a manufacturing company that was run by a Christian boss. That was a great place to work as well. All kinds of opportunities there. Sometimes we hit the jackpot. Other times, of course, we don't. But we need to remember that these places, whether they're run by Christians or not, are not church. Whether it's home where Christians live or a school where Christians work, they are not church. They're not actually church. And we certainly shouldn't substitute them for church. Because unlike the church, they don't explicitly exist because of the Great Commission. They exist before and they'll exist after. They'll just exist because they have other purposes. And besides, in the home, our kids eventually leave us for someone else and our work of raising them finishes. Oh, I've I've finished now. And in those Christian professions, we get paid, we have days off, we go on holidays, and eventually we get sacked or we retire from those jobs, and our work comes to an end. But that's not supposed to ever happen with the church. We're not supposed to treat church like that. This church might be different. Maybe you do get paid for coming to church here. (laughs) And you get special RDOs and time off for extra... Maybe better talk to Graham a bit more about this later. But we're not supposed to have days off and holidays from church, and, and we actually only retire from church at death. And in case that feels like a burden too big to bear, it's worth remembering that church is a privilege because the church is the bride of Christ. Not that school, not our home, not our work. The church is the bride of Christ. And it's the church which he calls his body which he nourishes and cares for. And it's the church whom Jesus is returning to save, not the home, not the workplace. Jesus is returning to save his church. So if our work inside or outside the home is causing us to be absent from his church, then we need to repent on this issue too, not just from hating work too much or loving too much, also this whole conflict thing that we play at. We need to confess our sin, not to the church, but to Jesus, because it's him against whom we sin. We need to change our attitude and change our behaviour and keep on changing it. A Christian who's not in the body of the church is like a branch that falls off a tree and dies. It's only good for the compost heap or the incinerator. For in the same way that the gardener tends the tree, so Christ tends his body, the church, so that it grows together in unity and love as each part does its work. So we need to get connected with his church, stay connected with his church and not let any work of any kind draw us away from Christ and his bride. And that's why at Year 13, a key fact of what we're trying to do is get those students who are now looking everywhere in the world and all the things they could do to actually work out how to be a servant of their church, a member who contributes and who leads. Because it's Christ and his bride we're serving. And no work is that important that it's worth missing out on the wedding feast of Christ and his church in heaven, is it? So hating work too much, loving work too much, conflicting work and church, well, these are the common mistakes I make. Absolutely. They're the common mistakes we Christians make in the waiting room. They're easy mistakes to make. But don't be depressed if, if that's you and you recognise that in yourself as I recognise it in me. But instead, praise God 
for his provision of forgiveness in Jesus. This is where the gospel changes everything, isn't it? Praise God for Jesus, whose work on the cross covers over our sin. Praise God for Jesus, who hears our confession about the mistakes we make. He's not surprised by our sin. He pays for it willingly. He picks us up. He brushes us off. He equips us with his spirit and he says, it's okay, Michael. Here's another day. Have another go. I love you and I'll be waiting here at the end of the day when you've stuffed that up again. Because you will. And I'm going to forgive you again. And I'm going to give you another day to have another go. Because I love you. He's so good to us, isn't he? He's so good to us. And this is where Jesus makes the difference for our work. See, when all is said and done, loving Jesus is the one thing, the one thing that makes the difference to how we Christians are to approach our work with wisdom. What we work at and how we do it. So what will I do today? Will I work or won't I? No, 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 no. That's the wrong question. That's the question the non-Christian asks. For us Christians, it's time to start each day with a new question. With a new question. When you wake up tomorrow and it's Monday, start with this new question. How will I work for Jesus today? How will I work for him? Wherever I am and whatever I do while I await his return, because I love him and because I know he loves me, how will I work for Jesus today let's pray our father we thank you that you know us so much better than we know ourselves you know our need and you've supplied that need in your son the lord jesus and lord jesus we thank you that you poured out your spirit into our hearts so that you're transforming us that we might live your way and we thank you for the promise of your return when we will rest forever but help us now to rest in your grace and by your spirit have wisdom in how we approach our work and approach it through that lens of love for you and therefore love for everything you have made and everything you have done. Change us, we pray. Forgive us, we beg. Delight in us and help us, we ask in your precious name. Amen.